When I was in my early 20s, single and hopeful that I would get married one day, I asked God to give me the name of the girl he wanted me to marry. He did not. <laughs> Many people worry about relationships, whatever their relationship status is. And for Christians, part of the way that we try to deal with this is by asking God for guidance. By this, we mean absolute clarity on what is going to happen. And within that, there is an implication that we will be totally happy with the plan when it's revealed to us. We like certainty, and we think that guidance will give us that. But as one writer put it, our mindset is, God, tell me who, tell me how, tell me when, and then I'll trust you. What God wants us to see is that if he did this, our trust wouldn't be real. We want a definitive answer so we won't feel vulnerable, weak, and dependent on him. But guess what? We are vulnerable, weak, and dependent on him. And it's only when we realize our true condition that God can demonstrate his strength and love on our behalf. I think as much as uh, we all want God's guidance, what we do also really want is a demonstration of God's strength and love on our behalf. And he does so eagerly want to do that for us. Now, God does guide people. There's plenty of evidence in the Bible. And uh, if you're a Christian, you've probably got evidence of that in your own life. And if you're here visiting with Christians, you could probably say, has God ever done this to you? Has he ever guided you? And I would expect most Christians here would say, yeah, he has. And I can tell you all about it. But God has another way in which he wants us to make good decisions. What we're looking at tonight is how can I make good decisions? And I want to suggest to you something that is, I think when the Bible talks about it, better than guidance. Because often when the Bible talks about making good decisions, what it says we need is not guidance, but wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to make right choices especially when it's not entirely clear what the right choice actually is. It's about knowing God and his ways and knowing how to apply these to the complicated circumstances of our lives. Now, it might not seem as dramatic or spiritual as sudden and indisputable guidance from God, but it still involves trusting him. And so he loves it because he loves faith. He loves it when we trust him and he wants us to grow in it. Jesus was famous for being full of wisdom. People are like, you are so wise, we can't catch you out. Everything you do seems to be right. You, he was famous for it. And God's intention for his people, God's intention for Christians is that they become more like Jesus. And so part of that surely will be getting wiser. Well, tonight we're going to look at how we can do this. And although the whole Bible is full of wisdom, there's one book in it which is particularly all about making wise decisions. It's the book of Proverbs. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's a collection of short observations of how life generally works. It's not all promises. This is exactly how it will go. But it's observations uh, about how life generally works. Most of it's very accessible. Individual Proverbs are usually about the length of a tweet, and so it's easy to read quite a few of them and be grabbed by some of them. Think, oh wow, I'm really hearing from God today as I'm reading my Bible. And I'm going to 
kind of follow its structure by just giving some short points. And these give us principles that we need to apply if we're going to be able to make good decisions about relationships. Or frankly, in any area. So most of the principles here will apply to all sorts of areas of life. But because this preaching series that we're doing is about relationships, I'm going to particularly hone in on them. So five principles. Here's the first. How to get wise. Get wisdom. Proverbs 4 verse 7. You think this is stupid. Proverbs 4 verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Okay, thanks so much. That's really helpful. (laughs) If you want to be wise, get wise. Yeah, but actually this is profoundly true. Because making good decisions doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen if you just hope for the best. It happens when you decide, I am going to work out how to make a good decision here. It's not a fluke. It is an intention. Getting wisdom starts with realizing that you need it and realizing that you need to find it. Many of us come to that conclusion having made a bunch of unwise decisions and then thinking, okay, I clearly need some more help. I don't want to make decisions like that again. Whether or not that's happened to you, tonight you can decide to get wise. You can decide to get wisdom by deciding you want to get wisdom. So where do we get it from? Point two. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now it's easy to misunderstand this word fear because for us it usually means being afraid of something horrible. That's what you, you, No one really thinks of fear in a good way. This is a good fear. This is slightly different. It's not what the Bible tells us. The, the, when the Bible talks about fear in this context, it means a reverent awe for God. An awareness of who he is. He's the one who made everything. He's the one who dwells in unapproachable light. He is a consuming fire. And he loves us. He adopts us as his children and invites us to call him Father. The start of the prayer that Jesus taught us um, brings these two things together perfectly. Say, our Father, which is an exclamation of love and intimacy and close confidence in heaven, which is all about the awesomeness of God and the greatness of God. And he's ruling and reigning in heaven and having made all things, he's sustaining all things and he's going to bring about all things to an end. Our Father, our Father in heaven. We can be wonderfully close to the judge of the universe. We are loved by the ruler of the world. Wisdom sees God as he is and acts accordingly. We are to trust him and doubt ourselves and our feelings when we or they come into conflict with him. And this wise perspective leads to wisdom being given to us. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, The Lord gives wisdom. So if you want to be wise, you need to go to God, worship him as he is, and then you need to ask him to give you what he has, which is all the wisdom you will need. Well, how will he do this? How will he answer that prayer? Because that's a prayer he's very eager to answer. If you want to ask for wisdom, God says, yes, ask me for that. I love it when you ask me for that. 
If you want to ask for the name of the person you're going to marry, if you're not married, he probably isn't going to answer that one. But this one he loves. So you can go with this. And the Bible is his main answer to us when we say, Lord, I want to be wise. Proverbs 10 verse 8 says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. What that means is the wise, they won't just... They won't just hear things being said. They will say, okay, all right, I'm going to learn that. I'm going to apply that. I'm going to work that out. We've spent the whole of this series on relationships looking at what the Bible says about them and not allowing anything else to veto that. Not allowing our culture, not allowing our preferences, uh, not allowing our feelings. Not allow- We're just saying, God, what do you tell us in your word about relationships and how can we live that way? That's what we've done. We've learned that the Bible says that marriage is to be, is to be between one man and one woman for the, all the days of their lives. We've learned the Bible says that sex is for marriage only. That Christians shouldn't get romantically involved with people who aren't Christians. That singleness is a good gift which God lovingly gives us. And we've explored all these in more detail in other preachers in the series. So if you're just here tonight and you're like, okay, I need more information on that. Well, it's there. You can go to kingschurchedinburgh.org and you'll find the whole series. But even if you were there for those preachers and you're still struggling with this, that's, that's not surprising. Because it can be a struggle to trust that what God says is true, particularly if it clashes with deeply held beliefs uh, or feelings or desires that we have. But that is the way of wisdom, to recognize what we're like, to recognize what we prefer, but then to look to God and say, not my will, but yours be done. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 8. Famous verses, great verses to know and to apply to yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The word that Sandy shared uh, about we're, we're Christians every day of the week. It's absolutely true. And that's what this has just told us to do in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Fearing God means believing that his way is right. And wanting your life to go his way. Saying, I'm happy with that. That's what I want. In fact, even if I've got difficulties with it, I'm going to trust it first and, and work out my difficulties as we go along. We are not to contend with him. To think that we've got it right and he's got it wrong. Now, very few Christians would say that's what they think. Very few Christians would say, do you think that God's got it right or wrong? And Christians say, I think he's wrong on that point. Mostly they don't do that. But the evidence of their lives and the decisions that they make, particularly in relationships, often says something different. Nathaniel brought that word about sacrificial trust earlier. I think that's very applicable in this area. There are moments where we say, God, I don't get it. I don't even, I'm not even sure why you're saying this, but I believe that you have said it, and so I'm going to trust you. And there's a sacrifice in that. There's a cost in it. There's a pain in it sometimes. But that's part of fearing God. Another aspect of fearing God is, um, well... It doesn't mean never making a decision 
in case you make the wrong one. And that's, again, people say, I'm, I'm fearful of making the wrong choice. So God, just help me. Fearing God means I, I just won't do anything. No, no, there's a good way to fear God. And it isn't the same as being paralyzed. So um, I certainly prayed a lot uh, when I met Deb, when I was planning on asking her out. Um, but I didn't feel I received any particular encouragement from God, um, other than he didn't say no. And and I, I was happy enough to say, well, at this stage of things, that's a legitimate, that's a legitimate way to go. So I'm going to ask her out. It's okay to try something that you're not sure about, so long as it's within what God has said is good. So there's a, an objective framework that God creates for us. And then within that, we can make choices. And we, cannot be, we don't have to be entirely sure. Wisdom doesn't mean knowing everything up front. It, it means knowing enough for today and how to make a good choice today. I'd say also that fearing God means being cautious if we think that he has spoken about this area. It's, I think we too easily say sometimes, particularly in emotive areas like relationships, well, God's told me. I know God has said this. When you say that, you immediately shut down any discussion because, well, who can argue with God? I mean, if God has said this, that, that really is the end of the discussion. Particularly when you're talking to a pastor, they're like paid to agree with God. It is really unhelpful and really unwise to say that unless you have really strong evidence. The New Testament tells us that we prophesy in part. In the chapter that's all about love, Paul uh, continues in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, we only prophesy in part. That means we will get some of it wrong or some of its application wrong. How much more likely is that to be the case when our emotions are involved? When we're excited or confused or relieved or thrilled or scared or unsure or totally certain or proud or giddy with it all and then into that mix, how, how likely is it that you think you'll be able to accurately discern the will and the voice of God? I just think it's less immediately likely or really what I think is you've got to be cautious at that point. Now, I absolutely believe that God can speak in these ways. So um, when Deb and I uh, had uh, started going out and realized we were very keen on each other, there was one uh, major issue, which is that I lived just north of London and she uh, was about to move to Glasgow. Uh, from Edinburgh. So uh, there was a distance issue between us and we uh, were trying to work out what to do and we're like, should we just uh, jack in Deb's work program up here and then move down south? What should we do? And we talked it through, uh, which is again part of wisdom. And then we thought, uh, no, I'm not sure. I, I probably we need to keep going with uh, where we are in our current situations and, and work it all out. But that's obviously tougher. It'd be surely easier to be in the same place. Well, I was on holiday that week and I went to a different church to my normal church. People there didn't know me. It was a much larger church anyway, so they wouldn't have even noticed. And during the service, um, someone uh, read out uh, Isaiah 43, uh, which is uh, a wonderful prophetic word about uh, when you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you go through uh, fire, it will not touch you. It won't burn you. God's saying, I'm with you and I will bring you through difficulty. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And then someone else brought a word, and they said, kind of on the back of that word, I just want to tell you this story. And they told a really complicated story about uh, uh, these two people who were from a Muslim country and had both become Christians secretly, and then in an arranged marriage, which neither felt they were able to tell their parents, please don't put me in this arranged marriage because I've become a Christian. 
they were arranged to be married to each other. And then on their wedding night, basically like, I've got something to tell you. I'm a Christian. And both said it to each other. We're like, this is amazing. God's in charge of relationships. And then the preacher started his preach and told this story about how him and his wife, when they first started going out, he was living in the UK and she was living in Hong Kong. And it was really difficult for a while, but God kept them going and brought it all together. By the end of which, I had some faith that God had just spoken to us about what was going on. But I felt that was external to me and we held it carefully. Basically, we were confident in it. But fearing God surely means that we are going to be careful if we're going to claim to speak on his behalf about ourselves. And just to be clear, he's never going to say anything that disagrees with what he's already said. And what he said is written down in his word. So that's the end of that discussion. Third point, teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. And whatever your dreams are in this area, you need friends and you need people who are going to help you. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. That is so true. It's so true. And Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Do you want your plans to succeed? Most people do, and yet they don't get any counsel. They just say, I want my plan to succeed, so I'm just going to do it all by myself. And the Bible says, no, get help. You need help. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Christians are meant to live their entire lives in community. Dan was explaining about membership. It's one of the reasons that we formalize that here at this church, because this is what we're meant to do if you're a Christian here. And that means we should expect each other's help. That's very countercultural in a place like Edinburgh uh, where everyone is doing their own thing and most people are encouraged, do what suits you. That's what we're told. And actually the Christian community is like, no, no, get advice because you're clueless. Build good Christian friendships. Attend a small group. Be known by the people in that group. And then when you are facing big decisions or little decisions which could become big decisions... You have God-given help all around you. Often we say, oh God, if only you'd help me. It's like, if only you would go to church and listen to the people there who know you. I've learned from experience not to make any major decision without consulting people who know me and know God. And people much older than me say the same. This is not something you ever grow out of. Never get to that point where like, thanks everyone else, I've got it from here. No, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. So, if you are interested in someone, ask others who know God and know his word and know you for their input. Notice the word I used there, input, not reassurance of the decision you've already made. There is a difference. Now, they aren't guaranteed to be right because none of us are perfect. But if you find feelings developing for someone and trusted people say to you, I'm really not sure about that, then that's almost certainly God's counsel to you. I don't know if you've noticed, but when something just lives in your own head, it really can build up into quite a big thing, can't it? And it's this huge thing, and it's all you can think about all the time, and it's massive, and then you say it to someone, and it's almost as it comes out of your mouth. It just shrivels, or or you maybe see it in its right perspective for the first time, and you're like, 
oh, that's not really quite the big deal I thought it was. That just, that's just something that happens. It's just a natural thing that happens. And sharing things with other people helps us see things as they really are. Keeping your feelings secret tend to make them go weird. That's my observation. And sometimes it's funny weird, but I've spoken to people and they have kept secrets about things they felt and things uh, for years and they didn't tell anyone and they just made themselves completely vulnerable to to the enemy to twist them and get them stuck and caught and, and lost actually because they never told anyone. And God says, no, I've got help for you. If you just told someone, you, they could have spoken into you. They could have, they could have helped. Sometimes as well, the speaking out of something, someone's going to bring, it's going to bring like breath of life to it. They're, you're going to say, this is what I've been thinking. And they'll say, yeah, I think that's a legitimate thing to think. And then your attention, oh, am I right? Have I got this right? That, that goes as well because someone says, no, I think that could be the case. I think that's worth going for. Trusted friends and advisors should help keep things relaxed. So if you're interested in someone, you don't get any red lights from those who know you and probably know them, then you can feel a degree of calm confidence that you're doing the right thing. If you try and go on some dates, see if some chemistry's there. That's, again, part of the reason why we get counsel, because you're not like, I'm not sure if I'm right. You're like, well, I'm still pretty nervous, but a couple of other people said this seems okay. So that's better than where I could have been, yes? Now, good friends and wise counselors will not scream with excitement when you say that you're interested in someone. They won't start making jokes about weddings when you've had one okay date. They won't put heaps of unhelpful pressure on you. They should just ask you how it went and help you to work out your thoughts. And ideally, you'll know that the other person is getting that kind of help as well. For those involved in this, for those when you're in the position of being asked rather than doing the asking, this is not an opportunity for gossip. This is a really important place for you to love and care for someone. So, get team help. Fourth thing to do is to watch your steps. Proverbs 14:16, one who is cautious and turns one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Proverbs 23, uh, 22 verse 3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. There's your choice. This is why I love Proverbs. It's so, I mean, it's funny, but it's true. King David is famous in the Bible for two things. One, being a man of great faith. And two, being a man who committed an awful sin of sleeping with his friend's wife and then trying to cover it up and then murdering his friend when he couldn't. How, how did such a godly man do such a horrendous thing? Well, the answer is this. One little step at a time. The account of what happened is in 2 Samuel 11. It begins like this. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. But David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. First wrong step. David isn't where he should be. It's spring. He's the king. That means you are out on campaign. There's 
there's a calling that God's given you to do, you've got to be getting on with it. Second wrong step. When he was out and about walking on the roof and he spotted this beautiful woman, what he didn't do was like, oh my goodness, I need to leave right now and either go to my wife or to a battle because that's where I should be. But he didn't. Because David's already made a few bad relationship choices and he's not used to curbing his sinful instincts. And so he asks who she is. That's another bad step. And the servant says, well, that's the wife of one of your good friends, actually. And David says, great, bring her to me. That's another wrong step. And they eat together and they have sex and she falls pregnant and David tries to cover this up by saying to her husband, come back from the battle and try to sleep with her, but her husband's too righteous to do that and so he doesn't. So the plan fails and so David has him killed. And we read it in just a few lines. We think, whoa, that escalated quickly. But it was simply one step at a time in the wrong direction. Don't be so foolish as to think that you wouldn't make a disastrous error. Proverbs 27 verse 20. Sometimes Proverbs is funny and sometimes it's just deadly serious. Death and destruction are never satisfied and never satisfies, never satisfied are the eyes of man. That's true. We will always be tempted. Whatever your circumstances, you'll always be tempted. Wisdom will help us flee temptation from the earliest moment by helping us see where we are headed to. Because David doesn't think, I'm not going to go to battle, I'm instead going to kill one of my best friends by having an affair with his wife. That's not what he thinks. But wisdom would think, if I'm not where I should be, if I let my eyes linger on that, if I invite her up, if I'm going to go that way. Wisdom sees that beforehand. So the stories that you read and you tell yourself, the things that are in your head of what makes for a happy ending and what you need and who you need, the thoughts that you allow, the actions that you take, these follow on from each other, one to the next to the next, and they will lead you somewhere good or somewhere bad. When we do stupid things, we prefer to think of ourselves as victims, don't we? The Bible's too wise to let us get away with that. Little steps, seemingly small decisions, staying online late at night, having that extra drink, continuing that conversation with a colleague in private messages, spending loads of time, the two of you unmarried in a bedroom. That's a little thing. I mean, that's not wrong. Where does it say in the Bible that I can't send someone a message? Where does it say in the Bible that I can't do this? Where does it say in the Bible that I can't do this? Listen, wisdom looks ahead to the path that you are on and it stops well in advance of that final deadly destination and it flees. Proverbs 6.27 Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Be warned. Someone else said, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Wisdom hears that and believes it rather than goes through the pain of experiencing it. Planning ahead is part of the way in which we get ready for the challenges that we'll face. And if you're in a relationship and if you're not yet married, you will face uh, challenges. 
the story of Daniel in the Old Testament is really helpful at this point. So he was taken out of his homeland and brought into uh, Babylon, where he was going to be. Uh, he was going to become part of the civil service, really, of the of the empire that had uh, taken over his country. And he was okay with that. He, he knew that God was happy with him being there because he was meant to be there and to, there, for there to be flourishing. But he was also going to be fed from the very the king's table, which meant that he was completely dependent on this king Nebuchadnezzar, and that food was probably going to have been sacrificed to idols. And for whatever reason, either it was the dependency on the king or it was the idol sacrifice of the food, Daniel decided he was not going to eat that food. The Bible says he decided he would not defile himself. He resolved not to defile himself. When did Daniel make that decision? Did he make that decision when a plate of the most amazing, you know, steaks, uh, roast chicken, uh, gravy, whatever, when it was right under his nose? Did he say at that point, now shall I, shall I... Shall I eat meat or not? It, would it, it probably would be fine to eat meat, wouldn't it? Because he, no, he makes a decision way before then. So that in the moment of temptation, when the guy brings the food out to him, he says, you don't need to bring that anywhere near me. I've already decided I'm not having that, thank you. So if you're in a relationship, or if you get into a relationship, talk early and talk awkwardly, if necessary, about how you are going to pursue purity together. Jen taught us really well on this a few weeks ago. Again, it's on the website. You can listen to it. It was brilliant. But here's the wisdom part. Deciding to do that. Now, the wonderful hope of the gospel, and this great news, is that we don't have to walk those deadly paths. We don't have to... Drag, uh, be dragged along by sin. There was a time, if you're not a Christian, this will still be happening to you, but if you are a Christian, you are not trapped anymore. You're not, you're not a slave to sin, the Bible says. You can't be dragged into these awful circumstances because Jesus has gone to the cross for you. Jesus has died for you. In the eyes of the world, seemingly foolish, but the wisdom of God for our rescue and our salvation. And when you become a Christian, the mistakes that you've made, all the things that you've done wrong are wiped away from your record. God keeps no record of them. He keeps no memory of them because they are put on Jesus in your place. And you become righteous in God's eyes. You're not hopeless. And Christ's perfect wisdom, which he lived with every day, making the right choice in every single circumstance, every day of his life, that doesn't just, it's not just helpful. It's not just an example to inspire you. The Bible says that is credited to you as yours. That's how God sees you now. With the same wisdom and perfection as Jesus. And you think, but I definitely don't have those things. You're like, yeah, Jesus does. And he shared them with you. And Proverbs gives us the hope of forgiveness in Christ, as well as all these sharp and funny warnings. Verse 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's the promise of God, that mercy is there for you. And this is why Jesus is superior to every other relationship. This is why he's in a whole different category to every other relationship we could ever have. And it's why he should be our first love above all others. Because he has taken the punishment for our foolishness. And he has given us his wisdom. 
and he's also at work in us now and in our relationships. His spirit, the Bible says, comes to dwell in everyone who puts their trust in him. And the kind of things that the Holy Spirit generates in us, makes in us other things like Jesus. And that includes faithfulness and self-control. And you need those things in your relationship. You need those things at the, the first date. You need those things on your 50th wedding anniversary. And God happily gives them to you. He doesn't say, what do you still need that for? He says, I know you need it. I'm going to give it to you. And this means we can experience wonderful promises like 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's a way out. There's always a way out. You may not be used to taking the way out. You may be so habitual, it might be so habitual to you to, to go the wrong way. You think, well, this can't be true. It's true. It's the promise of God for you. And He will help you learn to live that way. He'll help you learn what it feels like to make the right choice, what it feels like to flee. Wisdom shows us the path that we're on and where it's leading to. And if it's a deadly direction, it convinces us to turn around and flee. Fifth and final thing, find a good thing. Proverbs 18, 22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, I imagine most of you don't actually need persuading that this is the case. I remember, again, way before I was married, uh, being at some church, uh, Christian event or other, and this guy was chatting to me. He was like, Luke, are you married? I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not actually. He's like, oh, marriage is great. And I was like, I know. I mean, I know. Did you? I'd like to be married. Why? It was this really weird. I don't know if his marriage was just going really well at the time. But I was like, <laughs> but marriage is good. It is good. And it is worth going for. And so is singleness. And that's why we had Alice do a brilliant talk on it a few weeks ago. And I hope we've made that clear all the way through this series. But marriage is good. And it's okay to look for someone to marry. And not just to hope that it happens. What should you be looking for? Well, Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's true. This verse alone should be enough to put Tinder out of business. Or someone should hack it and just put it so every time someone opens the app, this comes up. Because looks are not going to last. But good character gets better with age. So you have to work out what kind of game you're playing. You're like, I'm in this for about five years or so. And then I'll try and find someone younger, although that'll be weird because I'll be older. Or I think I'm in, this, I'm in this game for decades. I want someone who's going to help me when life's hard. I want someone who I'm going to love for who they really are, not for what they are able to make themselves appear like sometimes. Don't be fooled by what the world, think matters, what the world thinks matters. Find out what God says is a good thing and go for that. Don't think what do they look like. But what are they like? 
doesn't mean you shouldn't be attracted to them. Uh, attraction is a deep and complex thing. And if you think it's just all about looks, well, you're wrong. So how should you go about this? How, how do you get started in this? Well, it needs a lot of wisdom, and we've got less than a few minutes. So <laughs> that's why I'm just giving you kind of headlines and principles, because the point of wisdom is you apply them. But here's a couple of things. I would expect guys to take the initiative in this more than girls. Uh, in terms of asking out, I think the guy should usually, if he, there's a kind of like, I think there might be something going on, I think he needs to take the initiative. Certainly, if it comes to the point where you're getting married, he should absolutely be the one on one knee. And that is exposing. And that'll make you feel vulnerable if you're a guy. And no one likes being exposed and feeling vulnerable. But actually, that's what a man's called to do. It's what Jesus did. It's what men are supposed to do. So if you care for someone, you, you make yourself vulnerable for them. That's the way it goes. Now, there's still obviously and rightly plenty that girls can do to help a guy realize the good thing that's in front of him. And sometimes they need help. There are good, godly, holy things you can do that might not seem like the thing that will work, but it can work. Just simply taking the opportunity to chat in low-pressure environments like church meetings and and small groups and things like that. I know that means no one's going to want to talk to anyone at the end of this evening. I I appreciate that. (laughs) So let's just just all agree that this evening, no one's doing that. (laughs) But, But... this, that's the place to find. That's the, we, there's, people are just chatting. We always just chat. There's always things, drink, we're eating. It's just, it's just normal life. You can hang out in the same groups. If you've kind of noticed someone and you're like, well, I'm not part of their group, but I've got a friend who is, well, use that friend. That's fine. You're, you're trying to find out if they're as good as you think they might be and to see if you being around the same place as them starts to get any kind of reaction. Like I've already said, involve wise people in this. Uh, it's okay to say, I kind of, mm, I've noticed them. How do you think, any advice? I think you can speak to married people about it. Everyone gets, you know, it happens differently for them, but they've got some experience and they're probably a bit more chilled. So, you know, you can ask them. These kind of things are why I think the best place to find someone is the church where God has put you. I know that can feel difficult because you're like, oh, but what if we then split up? But actually, we've had good relationships happen here where that has happened, and that's really fine. And we should be a mature enough community to be totally okay with that. Now, you might feel that there isn't anyone around. Like, no, I've I've done some pretty thorough research, and I'm I'm not sure there is. And (laughs) I understand that. It's, It's tricky. It's tricky. That was absolutely the situation I was in. And, and people would say, well, so-and-so, so-and-so. Like, ah, oh, no, I just don't think so. And they'd kind of be like, well, come on then. Like, well, I'm just going to wait on God and that'll be fine. So I didn't really have faith to do anything apart from just go where God already kind of told me to go. And eventually, by sovereignty, brought me up here and it was good. But, but you, it's okay. You can take the opportunity to go to places where there are going to be other Christians. You can do that. That's that's that is okay. Um, you know, there are conferences that we go to, and just other places where there's there's, there's going to be interaction. You're just going to meet people you wouldn't meet otherwise, and that's okay. 
Um, there, so the online service is uh, Christian Connections. It tries really hard to help people do this in a, in, a, in a wise way. I think internet dating can be tricky because it's harder to really know the person and their context. I mean, it's hard to know a person even like when you're in the same church as them all the time. So it's, it's hard in that way too. And so I'd encourage you to find out about their church involvement and friendships and all that kind of stuff from people who probably aren't them sooner rather than later. And you may feel more or less comfortable with some of these areas. That's, like, that's all right. Uh, for what, it's the kind of area where some people are like, I'm absolutely happy with this, and some people are like, no, nah, it's just not what I want to do. And, and there is, I don't think there's a right and wrong on, on those things, but there's wisdom, knowing yourself, knowing your circumstances, involving other people will, will help with that. However you get to know them, don't be in a rush, but do do something. When I was single, I didn't just pray and try to be a godly man, although those were the two most important things I could do. I did also make moves because it was like, Tom wasn't going to walk up to me with a ring <laughs> saying, you know how God gave you that name? Well, that's my name too, and now we're getting married. He, <laughs> that might have been what I'd pray for, but it's not what it happened. Because God wants us to grow in wisdom. You don't have to be 100% certain on someone before you ask them out on a date or accept an invitation onto a date. You don't. You can go on a few and you're like, I'm, I'm honestly not sure, but I'm happy to give this a, a try. As long as we keep it very low-key and we tell a couple of people each so that we're accountable and let's just find out. That's absolutely fine. In fact, it's wise. There are immediate deal breakers, their gender, uh, their faith, their relationship status. But if none of those are in play, then okay, why not find out? Like I've said, it's also okay for a relationship not to end in marriage. It's achieved its purpose of seeing if the two of you would work together. That's why we go out. So, we're going to wrap up. Those are five quick principles which have some biblical wisdom in them, I think, for you to explore and discover. Get wisdom. Fear God. Get teamwork around you. I just said, I don't think I meant to say so. If you're you're in a relationship, it's going well, you're like, we really want to get married definitely speak to people. Uh, Watch your steps and find a good thing. And the great news is that if all that does happen and you do get married, you're going to need a whole load more wisdom. And that's what Matthew and Anna speak to us about next week as they talk about how to make love last over the decades. But the thing is, you'll have given yourself a good foundation. And that's, that's a helpful start. Let's end with what's true, whatever your relationship status. Because it's high stakes. It is high stakes. It's our emotions. It's it's some of our biggest dreams and hopes. You know, sex, marriage, singleness, all these things. It's easy to feel like you're on a tightrope walking across a massive abyss. And if the wind blows or you make one wrong decision, it's down. Christians are never alone. They're never alone. Proverbs 18 verse 24 tells us that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus loves you more than anyone else ever will. And is always with you. When you're going the right way, when you're going the wrong way. When you've realized it, and even when you haven't. The wisest choice you'll ever make is to put your trust in him above all others.